turning to Ephesians 5. As just reminded by the hymn, My Father's World, um, this is our Father's world. And there's a lot of different ways that God could communicate the relationship between the creator of the universe. Um, we see in, in Romans 9, he's the potter and we're the clay. And who are you to answer back to him, right? As, as that kind of creator. Um, but one of the more intimate ways that we, we know him is, is as our father. Um, even more so as adopted children. And so that element, when you think of adoption, you think of uh, someone who's orphaned, someone who you know, doesn't have parents, somebody who's on their own and, and the Lord to, would reach out, pick you, gather you and call you his own. And then you are now fellow uh, partakers and heirs to everything. Uh, what a beautiful picture. Um, but within that is, again, that understanding that uh, he's the father and, and we're the children. Um, we forget that sometimes, especially as we grow, you know, taller and older and wider. Um, we forget that we're children. Uh, we forget that a lot of times we behave as children. We behave as foolish sheep, right? And we wander away from the shepherd. You know, I was thinking about that and I was, you know, thinking of the, the story of Pinocchio. You know, and it, a lot of these cartoons and stuff, you know, maybe we were, you know, some of us older ones, we were kind of raised on them and maybe it's been a long time since you've seen it or even thought about those stories. But these stories, you know, Disney didn't create these stories. Disney would like take books and stories from other people who wrote them and and there were morals to these stories and it's not an accident uh, that these stories have have points and with Pinocchio in, in particular there there were a, a lot of really um, key insights and and one of those is hey here here you have this this you know wooden figure who's who's a boy and he has a loving father who created him, right? And the, the boy desperately wants to be a real boy, right? He's got a conscience. Jiminy the Cricket is his conscience. And, you know, the, he's why? Because he's just this young, naive, innocent, trusting little wooden boy, right? He just doesn't know any better. He's, you know, kind of goofy in that set, sense. And it enables him to kind of, you know, fall into the clutches of, of the wicked. You know, the wicked played by that character that, you know, should indicate right away that they're, they're not honest when they call themselves honest. You know, so you got Honest John, that's his name. Um, you know, the wolf. And, and he leads young, naive Pinocchio astray. Where? Well, to Pleasure Island, right? Sinful Pleasure Island. Now, now remember, I mean, Pinocchio's trying to be good. He's trying to be a, a good boy, but, and, but he doesn't listen to, you know, his conscience. And instead, he, he chases, he follows the, the foolish pursuit of pleasure. Of course, Pleasure Island is a lie. 
the whole thing's a lie. It's a facade. Are there temporary pleasures there? Yes, there are. But they're very temporary. But there's lifelong consequences. And if only we were so lucky to just be turned into donkeys, we'll use the nice phrase. Um, but unfortunately, there's usually longer consequences. And the ultimate consequences is an eternity in hell. And so we see that this, this picture, this story, and, and, it, and it seems so, so honest, you know, that again, Pinocchio is just a silly, naive, wooden boy. He doesn't know any better. Well, we do. And just like he was called, in order to become a real boy, do you guys remember? What did he need to do? Show himself to be brave and truthful? So, so there were, you know, requirements for him to become real. For, for us, you know, we, we, don't, we don't have a requirement to be forgiven for God, um, aside from belief itself. And then from that belief to actually follow our God, to follow the words of our Father who knows best, who has our best interest at heart. Um, and we lose sight of that, don't we? Uh, we lose sight that the person who is most likely going to drive you to success because of pure unadulterated love is going to be that parent. But that's not how the teenager sees it, right? You're holding me back. You're keeping me from Pleasure Island. There's stuff at Pleasure Island going on that I, I just got to taste. There's stuff at, there's super secret stuff at Treasure Island that I don't even know about, but I want to find out about. I hear things. Um, and so as humans, we, we walk down that path so many times. And so today, as we continue to, to just tread through Ephesians, we, we see four ways to walk and to not walk in love. Um, we see that we are called to avoid counterfeit love, right? Avoid the honest, John, uh, honest Johns and avoid the, the lie and the deception of Pleasure Island, which is really the path of destruction. Now, the paradox here is that, look, we, we know that we're called to be like God, but we also know we can't be like God. We're, we're sinful. We're, we're sinful humans. And so, you know, do we just give up? Do we just quit? As Romans says, no, may it never be. Um, why? Well, because I, I must pursue. I must try to be like God. And, and God's given us our own Jiminy the Cricket, right? He's given us the Holy Spirit to strengthen us, guide us, encourage us, help us, even to be our conscience. Um. But we need to at all times in this pursuit, in this, this toggle, also know that there's, there's traps that are set and laid along the way. Um, and so we have to beware and we have to beware that Satan is the ultimate, ultimate counterfeit artist. He's phenomenal at it. There's... There's traps and bait and, and tricks and lore all designed to be around you to deceive you, to keep your eyes on those things so that you fall into the hole. I mean, there, there's, there's traps upon traps, layers upon layers. And so these are 
or, or, or the bait and all that again as you you pursue your eyes for these things that the world says are so great we lose sight of what what the father says just just follow this pattern and you will be fruitful you will have a a, a, a life of peace and rest and, and enjoyment and fulfillment and purpose and so as we turn back to ephesians 5 um we see the, 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 the four ways we're going to walk. And, and first, we're going to look at the plea. Uh, the second way we're going to look at is the pattern. We're going to see the perversion and then the punishment. And so the first one's the plea, the plea for walking in love. Uh, verse 1 and 2. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love just as Christ also loved, loved you and gave himself up for us. We're, we're, we're called to be imitators of God. We're, we're called to walk in a certain way. L- like any father or parent, you're not being asked to do it. You're being told to do it. This is an exhortation. This is a command to to walk in a manner worthy, to choose the right path, to choose God's way, not your way. Your way doesn't work. Your way is wrong. Your way is layered in deception. And so we go back to chapter four. We're reminded, well, therefore, the you know, I, the prisoner of the Lord, entreat you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you've been called. What's that walk? In humility, in gentleness, and patience, showing forbearance to one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. We're called in Ephesians 4.17. This I say, therefore, and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind, so we're called to walk in a certain way and to not walk in other ways. There, there's always the, the, the counter side, right? You're, you have to walk like the Gentiles, the unbelieving, pagan, idolatrous, immoral Gentiles. The, in the, the futility, the, the, the things that they think are, are just on a path of destruction. Don't, don't, don't walk like that. And then we learned last week in Ephesians 4.25 to, to lay aside, lay aside falsehood, speak truth to one, to one another. Um, don't be angry. Don't let the sun go down in your anger. Don't, don't give the devil opportunity. Stop stealing. Don't steal any longer. Don't let unwholesome words come out of your mouth, but only such words that are good for edification according to the need of the moment. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also forgave you. We're called to to walk this way. This way. Um, There's so many other distractions Uh, Well, there's a new way. There's a new book. Let's try this way out for sight. You know, let's let's master this. Let's master what the Father says. And then, you know, we'll we'll talk about some of this new stuff. 
Again, if it's new, it's probably not true. And so we're, we're called to first be imitators, imitators of God. Uh, this is one of those areas where the, the Greek kind of gives us a little deeper insight. The word in the Greek is mimites, uh, mimites. Mima, mima, sound familiar? Mimic, it's where we get the word mimic from. Um, so we're called to, to mimic God. Now, we've been trained to, you know, uh, to, to mimic the world, right? Just blend in. Just, you know, don't make any waves. Or idolize. It's the craziest thing ever that, that we live in a culture that idolizes, you know, athletes and movie stars and singers. Well, what a bizarre movie. And you really just stop for a moment and think about it. Um, these are just people who have certain areas of, of talents and gifts, which is it's just fine. That's great. But to idolize them, they're your heroes. They're the people that you put posters on, right? Your dad goes out and, 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 and works every day and, you know, blood, sweat, and tears to provide for his family. There's no poster of him. You know, mom's sitting there birthing you and, you know, parenting you and taking care of you and feeding you every day. No poster of her. But instead, you've got a picture of, you know, Michael Jordan. I want to be like Mike, who's, you know, can't keep a marriage together and got gambling problems and a lit litany of all kinds of other things. And these are our heroes and idols. We want to mimic them. We want to mimic somebody who can sing like nobody else can sing. It's like even if you wanted to, you can't. Um, not even in the shower. You're, just, you're not good enough. Um, you know, I'll listen to, uh, sometimes I'll see these, uh, you know, they'll have like a highlight of, uh, somebody trying out for American Idol and you see this song and it's like, Oh, that's a good song, you know? And boy, that 16 year old girl, man, she's, she's amazing. And you go and you look up the song and you listen to the artist and it's like, Whoa, now that's how you sing. <laughs> and that 16 year old girl doesn't sound so good anymore. Um, as much as she wants to mimic, she, she just can't. Well, we're called to something higher than that. And we definitely wouldn't want to mimic the lifestyle of these people. Um, and so we're called first Peter one through one, uh, chapter one, verse 15, 16 again is it calls us to the standard. What's the standard of God that we're called to mimic, to imitate perfection. Be perfect. Be holy. Remember, holiness in the Old Testament is separate. It's, it's separation. You're, you're, don't be like the world. Stop mimicking the world. Mimic me. Mimic perfection. Mimic holiness. Be obedient. 1 Corinthians 11 says, Paul says, follow me, which again in the Greek is, is, is imitate me. Imitate me, mimic me. Paul says, mimic me as I follow Christ. So you're only, you're only following me as I follow Christ. You're not really following me. You're following Christ is what Paul's saying. Second Corinthians 18 says, well, you need to change. You need to transform yourself into the image of God. 
What's the standard? The highest of standards. Why we, we want to have the lowest of standards? Um, you know, you'll hear these theological debates or arguments all the time. It's like, well, what's the least amount I, I can do? Right? What's the lowest barometer? Can I do this sin and still get into heaven? I mean, you hear these things all the time. Um, if I do this, I mean, I could still go to heaven, right? It's like, well, why are we seeking the lowest possible denominator? It's like somebody trying out, you know, for, for you know, the sports team. Go, well, I make a lot of errors, you know. I make a lot of errors. Are 30 errors enough? It's like, no, you want the guy come and go, oh, hey, I'll practice every day. I don't want to make any errors. Who, which guy would you want? I want no error guy. I don't want 30 error guy. Um, even though we know everybody will make errors, we will make mistakes, we will sin. But we're trying to transform our lives. 1 John 3, 2 gives us that hope that someday, one day, we'll be like him. That is the ultimate goal is when, when we die and we're glorified in our new bodies and we are perfect. So let's practice now. Start practicing now. Again, Romans 12.1 says we're to present our bodies. We're, we're, we're to be, you know, living sacrifice, not, not conformed to this world, but, but transformed by a renewing of our minds. We need to change our mindset. We need to, to, to walk in, 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 in a way that honors God. We need to walk in, in love. We need to walk in love. We need to mimic Christ's definition of love. Well, what is that? What is Christ's definition of love? Well, we, we're reminded of that at the end of, of chapter 4, verse 32. And be kind to one another. How do we mimic Christ? Be kind to one another with a tender heart. Remember, a gentle, tender heart. How? Forgiving each other. Just as God in Christ has forgiven you. They say that we're most like Christ when we forgive. You want to be like Jesus? Be a forgiver. Be a forgiver. Um, now that's easy to say. And you guys know that if you've ever dealt with, with people, <laughs> that, that people do things that you know require forgiveness, require your patience, um, but this is the way of Jesus. This, this is the way Jesus thinks. So turn with me to Matthew 18. Matthew 18 gives us some great insights in, into the mind of Jesus. So when I say to you, you need to forgive, you think in your mind, probably, you know, well, I don't know. There's certain things I can forgive and certain things I can't forgive. Here, here goes your, your human list. There's certain amount of times I can forgive, like a, not once, but maybe like a half, if it's not too bad, right? This is how we categorize our thinking. Well, that's not the way Jesus thinks. And so you see that here in Matthew 18, they're having this discussion about how to restore a brother when he's in sin and how to win him back. And then in the back, you know, you can almost picture, you know, Peter, he's sitting in the back and he's like, um, yeah, but how many times do we do this? I get a question. You want me to be like Jesus. You want me to forgive. But like, like how many? Like 
twice. In the Jewish tradition, you were doing really, really good. You're being really, really religious if you forgave them seven times. This number, that's where this number seven comes from. It doesn't just come out of nowhere. So Peter goes to like the, the standard, right? Now, it is, it's, it's written in our tradition is seven times. Jesus, is that the way we do it? Seven times? Well, the way of Jesus, the way Jesus' mind works. And then Peter came to him and said, verse 21, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? Isn't that enough? And Jesus said to him, I say to you, up to seven times. But up to, not up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. For you mathematicians out there, that's a lot. That's a lot. How many times have you forgiven somebody? 490 times. Um, but this is the way Jesus thinks. This is the way you should think. This is the way you should be. This is what you should mimic. This is the plea to walk in love. How? Here's an example. By forgiving. We then have a beautiful illustration here and a warning. Verse 23, for this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a certain king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. And when he had begun to settle them, there was, a, there was brought to him one who owed him 10,000 talents. They say that's about, you know, like a couple hundred thousand years of labor. It was just like a crazy amount. But since he did not have the means to repay, his Lord commanded him to be sold along with his wife and children and all that he had in repayment to be made. So they used to have de debtors prison. Um, verse 26, the slave therefore falling down, prostrated himself before the king saying, have patience with me and I will repay you everything. And the Lord of the slave felt compassion and released him and forgave him the debt. Didn't take the deal. Okay, you work for me forever. No, just, just waved off the debt. Forgave him the debt. A debt he could not pay. A debt he, 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 he owed. But he needed forgiveness. Sound familiar? Verse 28. But the slave went and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii. It's like five bucks. And he seized him and began to choke him saying, pay back what you owe. So his fellow slave fell down and began to entreat him saying, have patience with me and I will repay you. Same deal that he just went through. So the guy who was just forgiven an extreme amount of money now has the opportunity to be like Jesus. To, to walk in a, in a loving way like Jesus. What does he do? Verse 30, he was unwilling, however, but went and threw him into prison until he should pay back what he was owed. So when his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were deeply grieved and came and gave a report to the Lord and all that had happened. Now pay close attention here. Then summoning him, his Lord said to him, you wicked slave. I forgave you all that debt because you entreated me. Should you not also have had mercy on your fellow slave, even as I had mercy on you? 
Do you know how many times Jesus has forgiven you? You can't even count it. For you to turn around and not forgive somebody else of this little thing like putting them out of business, you can't forgive them that one little thing? Notice the response. The king, you wicked slave. Verse 34, and his Lord moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers until he should repay all that he was owed. Verse 35, so shall my heavenly father also do to you. If each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. This is not a request. This is a command. This is a deadly command. If you do not have a heart of forgiveness, then at what point does your heavenly father say to you, if you are not a forgiving person, then you do not get forgiveness. You know what? I tell you what, you can pay your own price for sin. You don't get the blood of Christ. Well, that would end you into an eternal place of hell and prison that you could never pay. So don't walk that way. Walk in love. And one a great example of walking in love is by walking with forgiveness. When, when you do that, you're imitating, you're mimicking the Lord. Well, the second <clears throat> the second way we can walk in love is, is, is by his pattern, by a pattern. Verse, uh, verse, verse 2, second part of verse 2. He gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. So what's being said here? So we walk in love just as Christ also loved you. How so? He, he gave himself up for you. He offered himself as a sacrifice to God, as a, a fragrant aroma. Young children, they, they learn how to draw. They learn how to do things by, by, by tracing, right? They see a picture and they kind of, they'll, they'll trace over it. So, so you get a copy or you get the original and then you copy it. It's the same idea of mimicking. It's the same idea of following a certain pattern. Christ has shown us a pattern of life. Well, what's the, the, the anchor, the hallmark of that pattern? The, the hallmark of that is, is the sacrifice of himself, being a sacrificial person. And we know that. The people we really admire are the people who are just selfless and givers, right? I'm not talking about cash. I'm talking about just, they just, they, they serve people. People get sick, they make soup, you know? People, you know, they go into people's homes and, you know, help them in the garden, the bed or whatever. They're just always helping. They, you know, they, they help watch kids. They help um, whatever. It just doesn't matter. They're, they're willing to help. Now, we live on the West Coast and, you know, maybe you go down South and people are a little bit more, you know, helpful. Not here, you know, I grew up in 
Los Angeles and you could live five feet from your neighbor. You don't know their name. You've never talked to them. You don't like them. You can smell them, but you don't, you don't want to talk to them. And it's like, you don't do anything to help them. It's just the way to, I got my thing to do. You got your thing to do. Let bygones be bygones and go. And so you develop this very self-centered lifestyle. Um, there's different parts of the country that hey, maybe they're a little bit more um, helpful. But for us, we struggle with that. And so Christ tells us, well, here, here's the pattern. The pattern for walking in love is being sacrificial. Turn with me to Romans 5. Romans 5 is a great picture of this. And Romans 5, verse 6. For while we were still helpless, helpless, you couldn't help yourself. At the right time, Christ died. For who? The godly, religious, wholesome, obedient. That's not what my version says. No, Christ died for the ungodly. For the helpless ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man someone might even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more, having been now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath of God through him. If while we were enemies... We were reconciled to God through the death of his son. Much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. While we were helpless, ungodly, sinful enemies, Christ sacrificed his life for us. Now, put that into perspective. When you have people around you that are ungodly, sinful enemies this is who we're sacrificing it's easy to sacrifice for pretty people who are sweet and kind and do things for you right oh we'll reciprocate it yeah you're nice to me i'll be nice to you you buy me you know a grande mocha i'll buy you a, a venti mocha you get me one i'll get you two you know it's like all right everybody's happy we're all sweet and nice no it's the helpless, ungodly, sinful enemies that we serve in a sacrificial kind of a way. Well, that's, that's another level, isn't it? That's why we constantly go back to, to Philippians. Because again, who's our example? Christ. Christ is our example. So, so we see in Philippians chapter 2, starting at verse 3, do nothing... From selfishness, why, why would we not be sacrificial for others? Because we're selfish. We think of self first. Do nothing from selfishness or with empty conceit, but the humility of mind. Why don't we do things for other people sacrificially? Because we're not humble. We're proud and arrogant. We think we're above it all. But instead, let each one of you regard one another as more important than himself. Don't just merely look on your own personal interest, but the interests of others. So have this attitude, have this mindset, mimic Christ this way, imitate Christ in this way. 
in yourselves, which was also in Christ, who, although he exists in the form of God, this is the living God, Emmanuel, God with us on earth, incarnate, walking the face of the earth. What is his primary mission and goal? To be king, to dominate, to rule, and to judge. No, 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 no. He came to seek and save. He came to find the lost sheep. He came with a mission to die on the cross for our sins, to sacrifice his body for somebody. He emptied himself, taking on the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men and being found in the appearance as a man. He humbles himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, a humiliating, agonizing, painful death. We, we've so glamorized it. You know, we have really pretty crosses and, you know, maybe they're in gold and shiny and, you know, Jesus looks so pretty and, you know, you don't really see the pain and suffering there. And, you know, it's just like, oh, what, what a symbol. It's like, feel the pain. Understand what happened on the cross. It was agonizing. It was painful. It was embarrassing. Would you do that for sinful, ungodly enemies? It'd be hard to do that for your own children. You know, you, you see movies or you read stories and they know the, the, the father runs across the street and saves his child and gets run over by the Mack truck. You know, dives in the, in the water and, you know, the raging river and, you know, saves his child and, you know, he drowns. Looks good on TV. Have you thought of, if you think about it, you're like, ooh, is there another way to do this? I mean, that's going to hurt. Um, and that's your loved ones. Enemies? Would I do that for my enemies? Am I jumping in the river for my enemies? Well, that's the example of the pattern that, that Christ sets. So we, as Matthew 16, 24 says, so we deny ourselves. We take up our own version of the cross. We follow him. We mimic him. We lay aside the old way of living, the old pattern of living. And we are now embracing a new way. Now, that is difficult. And, and, and it's not easy. But that's what we're called to do. That, that's the hard work that we have to put in. Well, the third element we see here now is we see a perversion of, of not walking in love, not following the path. Verse three and four, but, but do not let immorality. So you're supposed to walk like Jesus, be like Jesus, mimic Jesus, sacrifice like Christ. But don't do this. Don't let immorality or impurity or greed even be named among you as it is proper among the saints, and there must be no filthiness and silly talk or coarse gesturing, which are not fitting, but rather giving thanks. For you know with certainty that no immoral and impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of God. Well, wait a minute. Didn't we just read this? Didn't we just in the last chapter just read a litany, a, a list of things that were we're not supposed to do? What? Why is 
Why is the father repeating himself here? Why do fathers repeat themselves? Well, one, because kids don't listen. Because two, this is serious. This is emphasis. This is, listen, as a loving father, let me, let me remind you again, be careful. The, the, the elk and the deer are out there. Don't drive too fast. Be careful that bend is sharp and curvy. And if you go off the side, you, you, you go off the cliff and, and die on the left side. On the right side, you, you fall into the ravine and you, know, you, you, you die a different way. Let, let me remind you that at three o'clock in the morning that there's only people driving around that are, you know, shouldn't be driving around. Um, th these aren't said because, you know, we're trying to keep you from Pleasure Island, having all the fun in the world that you want. They're, they're said to protect you from the, the reality of Pleasure Island. Um, and so it's, it's a reminder here. There's, there's a perversion out there. Verse 6 says, Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God, God comes upon the sons of disobedient. Look, there's a perversion here. There, there's a lie that, you know what the, the lie is? That, well, being sexually immoral and impure and covetous and, and greedy, there's nothing wrong with that. Those are just the stuffy people trying to keep you from pleasure, trying to keep you from the real joys of Pleasure Island, right? You know, the silly talk, the filthiness, the, the coarse jesting. Well, no harm, no foul. You know, toughen up. No. This, this is a, a perversion of, of what love is. L love doesn't act unbecomingly. Um, love doesn't treat others in this manner, in this form. And so Satan being the master counterfeiter, he redefines what fun and life and love is. And so embedded in people's mind is this stuff to other people is this is their playbook. This is their goal on Friday and Saturday night of what they think is going out and having a good time. Do you realize that? Um, God is reminding of this. No, this is a perversion. Satan is a master counterfeiter. counterfeiter. Um, and so we see things like, well, like even the family being redefined. I was reading again in Genesis 1. Boy, you don't have to go very far in the Bible. Genesis 1.27, God created man in his own image, and in the image of God, he created him male and female. Oh, wow. I didn't realize that was so controversial. But, I, you know, that, that's, we're confused with that right now. And God gave them, blessed them and gave them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over it. Okay, so God created males and females. And you know what? Here, here, here's my law. Be fruitful and multiply. <laughs> Remember God's first law that we studied years ago? God's so harsh, so unkind, so doesn't want you to have fun on Pleasure Island that the first law that he commands is be fruitful and multiply. 
Uh, God is not a killjoy. Father is not a killjoy. There's nothing more than a father wants for his children than, than to have the, 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 the rich blessing of, of life in the right way, in the proper order, at the right time. And so, again, Satan perverts this in immorality and impurity and, and greed and um, covetousness. Then if you're going to sin, then, then sin even more. They, they, they run to sin nowadays. And really, we don't, that's not any different. We've been reading in Proverbs and been running to sin forever. Satan has perverted the world. These things are championed. They're monetized. You make money off of this stuff. Um, they're mimicked. These things are mimicked, approved. Now they're even taught in schools. It's crazy. Well, that's because there's going to be a perversion. When you have something good that God has created, there's going to be a flip side to that. There's going to be a flip side and Satan's going to take full advantage of it. And God reminds us here, don't let these things, don't let them rule over you. Why? Why? Well, the fourth point that we see here is there's a punishment. There's a punishment. There's a consequence for, for disobeying. There's a consequence for not walking down the right path. There's a consequence for, for, for not walking in, in the love of Christ, for, for not walking in a manner worthy of the calling, for, for not putting aside the way of the Gentile, for not being forgiving, for not being sacrificial. What's the consequence? Verse 5, For this you know with certainty. You know for certain that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the souls of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. Father to child, do not do this. This will hurt you. There is pain and suffering and consequences. So they sneak out the door and they go do it. Nothing happened. Dad was wrong. Dad lied. That was fun. That felt good. Huh. What do you think happens next? Let's do it again. Let's do it again. And so the tempter tempts and we fall prey to it. And then we think because we don't face immediate instantaneous judgment, Adam and Eve in the garden, right? To eat the fruit, nothing happened right now. And so I guess it's okay. No, no for certain, no for certain that no immoral, impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance. What's that inheritance? That's that eternal reward. That's that endowment in a state that says you're going you're gonna to be in heaven forever. No, you will not. Not if you follow this pattern. 
that if you follow this path, the proof of, of your belief, the proof of your following, the proof that, that you are, that you have fruit is the way you walk and live. It's not how you get saved. You don't earn your salvation by doing these nice and good things. It just proves where your heart's at, right? You, your father loves you. Well, prove that you love him back. Obey him, follow him, respect him, right? And then you will inherit the, the kingdom of Christ. Remember, it's, it's in the kingdom of Christ and God. It's his kingdom. It's not your kingdom. You don't make the rules to get into heaven. We, we think we're going to make the rules. Here's heaven. This is how I want heaven. Well, all my friends aren't there and we can't party and we can't do these things. Well, then I don't want to go to heaven. I don't want to go where the party is. You ever hear that one? Uh, well, guess what? You don't dictate what happens in heaven. You don't dictate what a good time is. God dictates that. And, and, and by the way, this place doesn't exist anywhere. There's a place of hell where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth and pain and suffering. Um, and then there's heaven. There's, there's no place where there's like this giant after party. That's a lie. Fake news. This is God's kingdom. It's his rules. It's his property. It's his legacy. It's his will. You don't write the will. He does. Um, there's no place for sin in his kingdom. 2 Corinthians 5:17 No person whose life pattern, whose life pattern is one of habitual immorality enters the kingdom of God. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 10, the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Galatians 5, 17, 21, such things do not characterize the children of God, the deeds of the flesh. There's warning after warning after warning after warning. Don't do this. Don't do this. Don't live like this. Don't be like this. Now, like any father who loves their child so much, there's a lot of grace. There's a lot of mercy. And there's a line. Who knows what that line is? Here's the little secret in life. The kids don't know what the line is. Neither do the parents. It'd probably be easier if everybody knew, well, here's the line. If you cross that line, if, you know, but even the parents don't know that. Why? Because they keep giving as much grace as they possibly can give. And they keep giving as much mercy as they possibly can give. And they'll give more and they'll give more and they'll give more until it's too far. It's too much. They've, they've crossed the line. There's a line. Don't cross the light. Don't let anyone deceive you with empty words. In the church today, there's a lie. Everybody goes to heaven. Everybody does not go to heaven. I, I wish that were so. Everybody does not go to heaven. That's why there's a hell. That's why the book is not silent about hell. Hell's written about a lot in the scriptures. So why are we pretending like it's not there? I would be doing you a tremendous disservice to only tell you the half truth. That, that sin can be forgiven. Yes. 
All kinds of sin can be forgiven. Yes, that, that Jesus Christ died on the cross, paid the price for your sins, was buried and rose again to pay the full price of sin. Yes. But there are people who don't want it. There are people who reject it. There are people who will carnally walk in this pattern. And you know what? They will not be partakers. And there is a place reserved for them, the eternal lake of fire. Don't lie to people. You can't drive as fast as you possibly can down the road with no repercussions. You can do it once. You can do it 10 times. Yeah, but I do it, I don't know, 100 times. But one day, some car's going to pull out, a kid's going to pull out, a deer's going to pull out, an elk's going to pull out, black ice is going to pull out, something's going to happen. And you cross the line. And so we're warned, don't let deceptive words. Now, don't let one deceive you, somebody, a person. So this isn't just Satan. This is a person is going to try to deceive you with empty words. Don't be partakers. Don't be partners with them. We, we are called that, look, there, there's a punishment for not walking in the love of Christ. But there's a warning too. Be careful. Be discerning who you listen to, who you follow, what, what, what patterns that they're teaching you and telling you what things are. Well, that's okay. No, maybe it's not okay. Take, take the high road. Be holy. Be perfect. Don't, don't try to just barely squeak in, right? Just want to barely get in by the skin of my teeth. Um, you're, you're playing a dangerous game. Don't be partners with evil and wickedness. We know what it looks like. Stay away. Instead, mimic Christ. Imitate Jesus. God our Father wants the very best for us. So, here's a pattern like any father. Look, do this. Do this. And, and you'll be rewarded. Walk in love. There's a, there's a plea to walk in love. Walk in a manner worthy of the calling. There's a biblical pattern that shows us how we do this. Things like being forgiving. Things like being sacrificial. Not just thinking of yourself all the time. And then there's warning of the perversions of truth. Satan is tricky and is a master to, to deceive and counterfeit what's right. And to throw out their immorality and wickedness. And know and understand when you do that, there are eternal consequences. There are consequences. Praise God that He is so gracious and merciful and His suffering is long because we need it. We need it. But we also need to relent. And we need to see the warning signs and say, you know what? I don't have to taste that. I'm just going to not do it. Uh, I'm just going to take the, the high road here. And, and, and just, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be like Christ. That, that's my goal. My goal is to be like Christ. Not like this, this other way. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for again.